Well, we uh, are wrapping up this series. The last five weeks, we've been talking about individually, how do we fear less and faith more? And we've talked about ways we do that, uh, including realizing that faith can be a, and fear can be a noun or a verb, and usually it's both. It's something you have, and it's something you do. And with fear, we're saying, have faith, faith more, verb that, but don't, don't verb the fear. And we talked about how fear actually can be constructive or destructive, that concern, worry, can be constructive if it leads you to, to God and to taking right steps that are wise in how you build your life. Well, today we want to talk about, from the perspective of those of us who are leaders at Live Oak, what are our fears? But not like individually, like I'm not going to talk about clowns and the dentist. I want to talk about the fears that we have for church. And again, that can be constructive or destructive. What do we have for the people here and the mission here at Live Oak? And on the video, you saw several people who are in leadership positions here share just kind of, we just asked them, say it. We didn't script out for them to say, sharing their fears. They include things like losing who we are, that our identity as a church would become blurred or we would get off track from our mission that we would become so insider-focused that we lose sight of the, who's not here. In fact, if you want to see a church that's dying, uh, look for a church that is only concerned and focused on who's here. That if a church is not ever listening to God's voice of what he's doing, if he's not at the center of it, and people who aren't here aren't the point of it, the church tends to die. It can still grow in number, but it just loses its place in the mission. That one of our fears is that we could draw a crowd, but there'd be no life change. There are statistics that really bother a lot of us as leaders. One of the ones we talk about the most is the stat about the next generation, that those in North America for the last 10, 20, 30 years, uh, students who've been involved in, in, in church from 0 to 18 walk away from their faith at age 18. And it's been 50%. It's gotten as high as 60 or 70%, depending on the surveys. Some as high as 90, but I think the research is flawed there. Probably 60 to 70 is about right, but let's just say it's 50%. We're not okay with that. We want to change that statistic. There are stats about poverty and people in need in the world that break our hearts. There are stats about people in our community and in our world that don't know Jesus, and we believe that Christ should be at the center of every life, and every life will be better off with with Christ at the center. So we want to change that stat of those who don't know Christ, of those who aren't connected to community, people doing life alone, people struggling alone, trying to grow alone. We want to help people be connected. We want to change that stat. The, the place of the Bible in people's lives is slipping in our culture, but yet we know when you do research about what produces life change, that what is it, something that God uses, connecting to others and connecting to God's word is a big piece of that. And when you're connecting to the scriptures personally, it has a catalytic influence on your spiritual growth. So when we see that, that only one in five people engage the scripture daily, I'm not surprised that you don't see life change in our world spiritually. Uh, there, there are stats about leaders of people not knowing they have influence or using their gifts. There are all these stats that bother us that we want to change stats as leaders. And then one of the biggest fears that we've had as a church collectively we've talked about is that as we grow larger, we wouldn't grow smaller. We'd lose our ability to connect to others. Well, there's a current reality as a church. Over the previous two years, we've grown 40% um, over that two-year span. And then this year, if the stat continued, it would grow another 38% just in this year if the, if the trend continued. So part of us is we're excited by that. That's, by that. It's neat. It's, seen, it's neat to see God draw people. And within that, we hear stories of life change and we're excited about that. And we do see God at work, but that creates some growing pains. It's created some challenges. 
It's created some fears that are concerns that we can either handle it in a constructive way and deal with it or in a destructive way, either by ignoring it, not listening to God, or not addressing it with wise, godly counsel and planning. So the mission of Live Oak is to make more and stronger followers of Jesus Christ. That's been our mission since day one. And by the way, day one, uh, our birthday is this Tuesday, the 17th, 1993 is when we started, so 24 years ago. And Live Oak doesn't typically celebrate our birthday with going to Chuck E. Cheese or getting a bouncy house or having cake or anything like that. Wouldn't be a bad idea, but we are 24 after all. It's a more mature birthday. So what I would suggest is what we do every year is we typically think back about our mission and our roots, where we've come from and where we're going. And as we talk about our mission, we like to talk about the model we use to think about who is it that God's called us to be as a church. From the very beginning, we've kind of looked at this casually, but over the last probably seven or eight years, we've started using this more and more of saying, this is who we want to be. What's in this passage of scripture, this is our model of how we're going to make more and stronger followers of Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark talks a lot from the Apostle Peter's perspective. He's probably the guy he got his material from. And he tells the story of Jesus from that perspective. And the story he tells is amazing. And it shows that actually this is how we change statistics. This is how you change the world. This is how you change lives. And in Mark chapter 2, this is what happens. It says this, a few days later when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door as he preached the word to them. Now that's a similar problem that we're dealing with. There's some crowds. This service is a little bit light. We actually have an algorithm. We can tell you, almost predict what a service is going to be like depending on what time the tech game is on Saturday, what the weather's like outside and what tech actually does with that game on Monday, or Sunday, Saturday. So 11 a.m. meant we probably have a higher Sunday. A loss means they're probably a little lower. We have a second half to thank for lower attendance in this service. Although first service, we were 67% at capacity in this room. There's still open chairs in here. Has someone sent me the capacity yet? Do I know that? I have not. I don't know what the capacity is for this service. But here's the thing. You can look around. There's empty seats. Here's what we know. 64% in the first service, here's why that's concerning. Trends in churches, we do a lot of listening to other churches and people who've done this before who are smarter than us, and that what they tell us, my dad's a church architect, he says this is true, that about 70% to 80% when the room is full, people stop inviting. Now, I don't think that's going to be as true here because I think we're a very invitational culture. I met three new families this morning. How'd you get here? We know so-and-so, and they're either personal invitation, or they're sharing on social media. There's a reason we check in on Facebook. I kept seeing it come up, and I realized this could be something that could be a good place for us. So we believe, I believe you guys will be invitational, but statistically, that's not always the case. But the problem they had there, that there was no room left, is the problem that we have. We have some growing capacity issues in our facilities. So here's what they did with their problem. Let's see what we could do with ours. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So there's at least four friends. It could be more because it says some people came and then it was carried by four of them. So each grabbed a corner of the mat. There could have been more than that. But this guy who was paralyzed didn't have a lot going for him in life. What it meant for a guy like that is if you had a disease or illness at that time, typically religious believers believed either you did something wrong, your family did something wrong, so we don't want to align with that. You would be kind of put off to the side. Happens in our society too in different ways. 
or what they would believe is you have something and I don't want to get it, so I stay back from you. So this guy probably lived a very lonely life, was cut off. His hope was to sit on the side of the road. He couldn't really be mobile and hope that people out of charity would give something and allow him to survive. This guy did not have a lot going for him, but he had one great thing going for him. He had great friends. I don't know if they were longtime friends or people just motivated by the need, but the fact that there was a group and not an individual, somehow there was some discussion. Hey, we care about this guy. We need to do something. What can we do? They probably felt helpless. And in our world, it's easy to feel helpless about what's going on in the world. But they thought, maybe someone can help. Maybe Jesus can make the difference here. So they pick him up and they gather him and they carry him to where Jesus is teaching. And then verse 5, no, verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, it was a barrier, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. So they had barriers. But these were great friends and they were great leaders because they said, we're not going to let that stop us. The need of our friend is greater than the barrier, the obstacle in our way. And we believe that Jesus is greater than the need of our friend, so we're going oh, to do everything we can to find a way. And so probably in this group, there was probably one of them who said, okay, guys, we're not going to give up here. What could we do? And they talked about ideas and plans and strategies, and finally one of them said, well, there's a ladder over there, and there's a roof. It's flat. I know how these things are made. Hey, I got a shovel. Let's go. I got some rope. And so meanwhile, Matt's not laying there going, guys, be very careful. I, you know, I'm, not, I'm already hurt somewhat. Don't drop me. And, but they go up to the roof and they start digging. And they start finding a way. And they lower their friend down to Jesus. And then for the rest of it, they nev- we never hear a word they say until this point or even after this point. All we could see is their action. And it was creative, but it was something else. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he didn't hear about their faith. He saw their action that was by faith. They faithed more. And, the, and what was so great, and I think where Jesus saw this as an act of faith, is like, this wasn't the normal approach. The normal approach would be, oh, well, let's try again a different day. But they were so compelled by the need that they said, we're not going to be deterred here. We're going to do something. And they found a way. And when you want different results, you're going to need a different approach. And they had a very different approach. But it wasn't just the hole in the roof. It was their faith that led them to cut that hole in the roof. They lower them down. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Let me summarize the rest of the story. Everyone goes, okay, if you're the God of the universe, if you know everything, surely you know this guy can't walk. He's the friends of the paralytic, not the friends of the sinner. Like, we brought him to you thinking you could help him walk. And the religious leaders are gathered around going, well, that's a neat trick because no one can prove if you're true or not in terms of saying he's forgiven. We can't measure that. That's measured by God in eternity. How do we know he's forgiven or not? So Jesus says, so you may, and here's a key word, know. He wants us to have assurance of who he is and the authority he has over your sins, the world's sins, over anything in life. So you know, he tells the man, get up and walk. And he does. And it says that everybody breaks out and they're amazed and they praise God because who gets the credit for this isn't the four friends, it's God because ultimately that's what their faith was focused on. And so everyone's attention is on God and how amazing it is. But it was the faith of the friends and I theologically, I don't understand that. How my faith in God on behalf of you could impact you, I don't know how it works. 
but it says what it says and it doesn't say what it doesn't say. And it says the faith of the friends made a difference in the life of their paralytic friend. That Jesus noticed that and he took action. They faithed more and there was this impact. And as they saw that, and it says at the end that everybody's amazed and everybody's praising God, I bet at least four guys were praising and worshiping at a whole other level. Because the whole crowd saw God do something amazing. But the friends were part of it. They experienced it personally. And they're on the outside looking in, but they're looking in through a hole in the roof. They cut by faith. And Jesus looks up. He looks eyes with them and says, it was your faith. And he says, you're forgiven. You're healed. And this is really for leaders of Live Oak. Our fear is, is that some of you would be spectators and not participants. That you could see God do some things, but you wouldn't experience it personally. We want you to have a lot in common with the friends of the paralytic. That you would be involved and engaged in what God's doing. And that we would do that together. That everyone would grab their corner of the mat. There are several lessons we take away from this, this story. One is this, that be that kind of friend to others. We know there are needs in the world that people need Jesus and people have needs. And there are opportunities where we can step in and know people and walk with them. The lonely, the hurt, the brokenhearted, the separated from God, Christ and community. Like we want to step in and be that kind of friend to them. Because everybody needs somebody who has you on your radar, who's concerned. What we say around here a lot is everybody needs to be connected to somebody. From day one, 24 years ago, Live Oak has existed. Actually, before day one, our conversations, because I was part of the core group that planted Live Oak. I was on staff for nine years. I was gone for nine years. I've been back for almost uh, six. Apparently, I've got three more. I do things in nines, but I've been back for six years. From day one, the core group, when we talked about it, this was a church we wanted to exist for the outsider. And we wanted to find creative ways to connect and reach them and connect them to Christ and community. And we talk about this passage every year, the Prince of the Paralytic. And it's not because there aren't other passages in the Bible to talk about, or I can't develop a new sermon to talk about. We talk about this every year because until there are, people, are no more people outside that need to be connected to Christ and community, we'll keep holding this up and saying, you've got a part to play. Let's go find them. Let's grab our corner of the mat and connect them to Jesus. So the question I would ask you is this. What does it look like for you to grab your corner of the mat? What role do you play in reaching people who are lost and hurting, disconnected to Christ, disconnected to community? You have a role to play. The other takeaway is not just to be that kind of friend, but find that kind of friends, find those kind of friends for your life. Find those kind of friends. Because here's the truth about life, and we've, many of us have experienced this. Sometimes you're grabbing the mat and carrying someone. Sometimes you're on the mat yourself. That life has a way, and it never schedules itself, where it shows up, and you're knocked down, and you can't move forward unless somebody, by faith, says, we're with you. We'll carry you. And the time to find those kind of friends isn't when you're laying on the side of the road and you've been knocked down. That's why here we believe circles are better than rows, that connecting in community is so important that you're known by somebody. They know you and you know them and you're doing together. And sometimes in those circles, you're not sure who's going to be on the mat and who's going to be caring. Or maybe it's just we're all going to go look for those together. But find those kind of friends and be that kind of friend to others. So the question for you is, who are your four-corner friends? If all of a sudden something happened today and you got knocked down, and you couldn't take another step. Who is it by faith that would say, we care more about what's wrong in your life and your need and your pain 
We care more about that than our own needs today. We're going to do whatever it takes to move you forward and make sure you're connected to your Savior, to make sure that your needs are met, to make sure that you're known and that you're okay. The third takeaway is this. It's faith more. It's what we've been talking about for, for the last five weeks, that faith is always the way forward, that all of us have a next step, and it's always by faith. So the question I want to ask you is, what is God calling you to do? That word calling, I don't think, isn't just something for people like me who work for churches. It's for people like us who are followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I believe God calls you to take next steps by faith for growing your faith and impacting the lives of others. And the question I dare you to pray is, what is God calling you to do by faith? Because the truth is, there's a role for you to play, to participate, not just observe, but to participate in what God's doing in the world. And that's really the fourth takeaway. All of us have a role to play. And by faith, our role is to grab your corner of the mat. To figure out what is it that, how I'm positioned or who I am or how God's gifted me, of what God's entrusted to me that I can use to grab a corner of the mat with others to move people to connecting to Christ, to making more and stronger followers of Jesus Christ. Again, this guy didn't have a lot going for him, but he had great friends who somehow had faith that Jesus could do something. And as long as we have that here, we will keep moving the mission forward and we won't see God making more and stronger followers of Jesus Christ. But as you do that, what we've learned in the last 24 years is there are always barriers. There's always obstacles. There's always a crowded room. There's always a bad influence in the world steering someone away. There's always crisis and tragedy. There seems to be a lack of resources. There are all these things that can be barriers at times. But one of the things that we've learned since day one of Live Oak is that that while there always may be barriers, there will always be a God who has promised in Matthew 16, 18, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We count on that. We believe that. That's been a promise since day one. As much as seeing this vision of what God builds is this Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. You could read that yourself. Jesus, when he starts building the church, it looks like this gathering of people that's transformational toward others, but it's also transformational of how they interact with each other. It's never just about exclusively a relationship with Jesus. That's that's where it starts. But somehow Jesus reminds us we're not only children when we're a child of God and he turns us toward each other. And so we've countered this promise that God would build his church and we've seen him do that over the last 24 years. How God in 1999 provided land out here that's allowed us to have 15 acres that we haven't even touched yet that's available here. He's provided tremendous leaders. I should have said this in the first service when they attended. But early on in our church, when we started having, decided we were going to be an elder-led congregation, it wasn't going to be a pastor-led or individual-led. We, want, we believe in the plurality of leadership. We, have, we are an elder-led congregation. We have a team of six elders. I'm one. Mark Porter's one. But um, the senior pastor is not the head elder. Mike Buchanan and Randy Wright were the first, two of the first elders we had as a church. And they've been impactful leaders since... I can't say day one, it was about day three. It was year three, I think, that we started that. But God's always provided resources and people and opportunity. We're debt-free as a church because of God's provision and people's faithfulness to that leadership. But we count on God's track record. We've seen him work, and we know he's still at work. But we have some capacities. And so with that in mind of God's promises and his track record, I want to talk about four capacities that we're facing as a church. One of them is a facility capacity. A facility, the building. It's a building capacity. But here's the thing. Today we're not launching a giving initiative. This isn't a, hi, surprise, it's a giving campaign. It's not it. Our next step isn't to build. It's not. At some point that will be something we need to do, but we do have some auditorium 
issues. Again, like I said, 67% in the first service. Sometimes this service is full or it kind of fluctuates, again, depending on if Tech wins or loses, what time their game is and what the weather is. But still, we've grown 40, 40% last, last two years and another 32%. It's growing. We have some facility capacities. We have kid space capacities where sometimes we have some rooms that are overly full and we're trying to flex and move them around. But here's the great thing. We've been here before. We've been here before, and God provided. Now, we know that our next step isn't to build a new facility or expand the current one. We actually already addressed that. What, probably, what we'll have to do is probably do a third service at some point. We're not announcing that yet. We don't have a start date for when that would happen, but it's getting closer. We did it at Easter. We'll do it again Christmas Eve and do three Christmas Eve morning services. But what we know is that we need to do a lot of learning from others, a lot of listening to God. And really, we have a master plan is to figure out our good next step. It's to maximize current facilities that we have. In some ways, because of facility issues, we have to push pause on some things we really, really like. Like family experiences, we call them an FX. We used to do between services in, in room 106. We outgrew the capacity in there. Jingle Jam's the same way, which is a, a family experience we do kind of on, on hyper. We're having to push pause this year. Because last year, our room that seats 440 had about 500 people in it. And we have a fire marshal that attends our church. <laughs> He didn't tell us to stop it, um, but we're aware of capacity issues, and not all things can be scaled. Small group childcare, we know there is a prime time for helping people get into groups and people that have kids. Small group childcare could be a barrier from keeping them from connecting, so we've had to address that. Jana uh, Prendel right now is leading our small group childcare um, ministry and facilitating that, but we can't just scale. Like, eventually, the facilities will run out for what we can do for childcare in one time slot. We can add a third service, but we can't always do that. It affects our student ministry in some ways. But the, as we ask questions about third service, do we build or do we expand, the thing that we need to know is we've been here before. About five years ago, four years ago, we started doing the math and we realized, boy, we could add more people in here, but not if they have kids. And ne reaching the next genera generation is a high priority for us. So that wasn't okay. And not if it rained because our, our, half of our parking was, was dirt, and one Easter when it rained, we became very aware of how real a problem that is. And then also, because we're so relational, our foyer, the hallways that run this way, that immediately at the door this way, and immediately at the door this way, that was almost the foyer, but double wide going out that way. There was no way to connect. But we believe people need to be connected. So we, we addressed balancing our capacities so we could still have more people in here, but they could have kids. They could drive a car if it rained. And they could hand us thing around and have a conversation out there. So we had built the foyer, uh, expanded the foyer. We uh, added about 2,100 square feet for kids' space. Uh, and we uh, paved the parking and added more gravel. And so we did that, and God provided an amazing way. We had a consult several consultants come in and talk about doing a giving initiative, and we did it. We had to raise half a million dollars. We were going to do that over 16, uh, 15 months. And um, industry standard is whatever is pledged at the beginning, you get 80% at the end. We had 100% of pledges come in of the total that, that was pledged at the beginning. Not everybody could do what they asked, but some people did above and beyond, but at the end, we had 100%. The other thing, industry standard is, they told us, and I love that phrase, it's industry standard. I was like, what industry? Like, like if we're serving God, somehow you pay attention to that, but you realize, let's do this in a God-honoring and people-honoring way, and maybe God can exceed standards. He did. We had 100% of pledges given. All the money was given. We decided to give 10% away 
So it kind of drove the cost up even more because we said as we, God builds the church here, we want to always be committed to building the church there. We were able to build a church and education facility in Kenya through the Kilgores Project and do some things locally and give funds away. We had a chance to do that. But what they told us is your general budget, the stuff that you need to pay bills and pay staff and pay for resources, your general budget always takes a hit, usually 10% dive when you do a giving initiative. Ours grew that year. Only God. We, we wanted God to do something, but we knew it involved us, and sometimes it involved money and making ask and being uncomfortable and doing some things differently, but God provided, and because of that, immediately when we finished that giving initiative, we started growing like at a significant higher rate. We were growing before, at a significantly higher rate. And maybe it's because we were in a giving initiative and said, hey, call me when you're done and I'll come check you out. But I, I, think, I think it was something different. We addressed the areas we knew God wanted us to grow. So now we have, a, we have enough square footage, but here's the problem. Everyone doesn't fall up in their neat little buckets on a Sunday morning. We have a lot of babies. We got a very fertile church. We got a lot of babies. That's Mark Porter's line. It's not mine. I got to give credit. And, and so we have, to, we have to flex using this space. And so that's what we're trying to do is be a good steward of what God's given us. Good stewardship, being frugal, thinking about who's not here, thinking about the other, thinking about building the church here and there have always been things uh, that we've been committed to. And I think God has honored that. So right now, we're, that was Thrive 1.0, and there's still a Thrive Fund. What I'm here to tell you is we're not launching Thrive 2.0 this, now as a giving initiative, although you can still give to that. I started giving to it again this week. Because I realize at some point, we are going to have to expand or build or do something. So I'll just start giving now. And I'll find a way to give above and beyond to that. You can do that through the giving app. Just go to uh, Ways to Give and Thrive is one of the options. But I'm not necessarily asking you to do that right now. God leads you, that's great. Here's Thrive 2.0. Here's our biggest concern. It's not a facilities issue. It's these next three things. One of them is a connecting capacity. One of our biggest fears, if we just grow a crowd but we don't grow community, we're lost, we've lost the game because we believe that's transformational. So our ability to connect others to groups and teams and meaningful relationship that people could have their friends who can grab a corner of the mat or people that they can team up with to grab a corner of the mat and help others is incredibly important to us. So we've had to grow our small group leaders. And because we grew real wide with small group leaders, we had to grow coaches who could coach small group leaders. And this last year, from last year to this year, our small groups have grown 90%. 90%. Deanne Salsky, who's the director of our groups and teams, took great leadership with her team to build a structure, a facility that's not brick walls, but a structure that allows circles to connect. It's so meaningfully impactful because what we believe, again, is everybody needs to be connected to somebody. That doesn't include middle school and high school small groups. We don't have classes. We have groups. In our kids' ministry and preschool ministry, starting at age two, it's circles, not rows. We want small group leaders and small groups, not classes and teachers. Everybody needs to be known. Everybody needs to be connected. So from a very young age, that 90% growth doesn't even include next gen, but it's growing. And some of that, I want to just say thank you for those who've given to Thrive that allow us to address this stuff. Thank you. For those who gave your leadership and influence capacity to serve as a small group leader, whether it be for a two-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 40-year-old, thank you. It makes a difference. In, small, in, in our next-gen ministry, we call it lead small is our strategy. Our goal isn't just to grow big. We want to lead small, and there's a whole five principles of how we do that. It includes partnering with parents. We want to be great partners with parents. We want everybody connected, and so we're training small group leaders from a very young age, 
leading kids at a very young age on up, that everybody needs to be connected to somebody. We've had to make some adjustments to make sure that we do that well that doesn't involve just creating connect, connecting capacity, but also involves this, our serving capacity. Because if you're going to create groups, you've got to create group, small group leaders. If you're going to have ministry teams where people can serve and use their gifts to serve others and impact others, and what we believe when you serve is it impacts your faith as well, we needed people to volunteer and people to lead those who volunteer. It's about teams. It's about serving others. And it's always about the other. But growing our serving capacity is a big part of that as well. And then to have people who serve means you also have to grow your leading capacity. That you develop leaders of leaders, leaders of teams, leaders of small groups. This honestly is our most critical need as a church. And I have to confess, I dropped the ball. We have not grown our leading capacity at the rate we needed to keep up with providing small group leaders of people who serve and people who can lead teams, lead ministry areas, just lead, period. And sometimes when we hear the word leader, we think, well, that's not me. We believe everybody has influence. And sometimes you're leading yourself to do a task. Sometimes it's leading a team. Sometimes it's leading a whole uh, 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 ministry area. It's, it involves a lot of different things. But this is our most critical ministry need. And typically what you do, the way you expand that capacity is you hire staff. We're not doing that. And here's why. We have a salary cap with our budget. We want to be good stewards and frugal. And we've set a salary cap of what will be given to staffing to make sure that we always have a good percentage of money to give away beyond the walls of Live Oak and to use within for ministry. And you can't just hire a solution, but you can develop it. And for some people, we've asked our staff, we challenged them this way, we've got to develop a better structure. We have to simplify the way things, we do things. We have to have laser focus on our mission and what's mission critical. We also have to challenge our staff that you need to make sure that you're healthy as a leader, that you're connected well to your family. Ministry can be really hard on staff families at churches, very hard. The statistics aren't good there. We'd like to change those too. We're forcing staff to take time off, take vacation days. We're even asking Christy Barnett. She's our longest tenured staff. She gets to go first. Uh, We're asking her to take a sabbatical of three months where she gets to step away and her only mission, and we're going to fight for her to have this space, is just to connect with God, connect with your family, just rest. If, if, if Sabbath was important enough for the creator of the universe, it's probably important for us. And so we're asking her to do that. And because she's doing that, it gives us the opportunity. I mean, these things timed up, it's perfect. We can pause some things that she leads, like Jingle Jam and FX, and say, we're going to push pause for a season. We have to anyway. Here's a great opportunity for Christy to get some, some uh, much-needed sabbatical time. We've asked our staff to think differently about building a structure. We've restructured our next-gen ministry. It's not just kids' ministry, preschool, elementary, and student ministry. It's one team, next-gen. We asked Tammy Roberts, uh, who's the point leader of all our next-gen ministry, and we realized there's so much in common in that. We want one team, not these fragmented teams. We want them working together. And we've told our staff, when you read the Bible, when you read the New Testament, what's your job description? It gives us to in Ephesians 4.12. Their responsibility, the people who have these roles of leadership within the church, Uh, leadership structure. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. When it tells the church that the church staff, our staff, our responsibility is to equip God's people, you know who that is? It's you. You guys are leaders. You guys are owners. You guys are grabbing a corner of the mat here, and our job is to help you do that very well, to give you everything you need and equip you to do that. That front lines, staff can't be the front line leader, and we won't just hire more staff we need to develop more leaders. 
One of the things we believe is not just everybody needs to be connected to somebody, but if you are at all plugged into Live Oak, everybody needs to be developing somebody. That's Thrive 2.0. That's what we need to build is more leaders that are connected to each other. And one of the things about Live Oak is we have a plurality of leadership. We've always had that. We're elder-led. It's a congregation. Uh, I, I view Mark, uh, our executive pastor, we, we, we co-lead. I don't make a decision without him knowing about it. We have a staff team that has, an, has a senior leadership team. We have a board of directors, and they all overlap. We believe in the plurality of leadership. But we also develop, believe in, in leadership should be given away. There is a lot of leadership that's needed at Live Oak. And I could tell you in one move, one choice, one thing we could do that could double our capacity of leadership at Live Oak. And it has nothing to do with writing a check. If everybody who is currently serving at Live Oak and everybody who is currently leading at Live Oak found one person who they invited into this and said, will you grab a corner of the map too and will you just partner with me for a season where I could develop you as an apprentice? At the end of that time, we would double every leadership role we have. Every role. Small group leaders would double if every small group leader found an apprentice and developed them and launched them as a new small group in January or next year. Every small group coach who's coaching small group leaders could do that. Everybody who's a greeter who said, I want to find someone who's not serving and, I want, and they look like they'd be a good fit for a greeter. Here's the thing. We want you in a good fit. Be where God's equipped you. But boy, they'd be a good greeter. I'm going to invite them and I'll go through the right way and onboard them and then they're going to shadow me for a season and then there'll be one more greeter. See, if all of us just invited somebody to ride shotgun with us, we could double our capacity. And the truth is we need to. We need to. And so if, you're, if Live Oak is your church home, if you're part of Team Live Oak, and by the way, when we say Team Live Oak, Team Live Oak's opposition is not Team Southcrest. It's not Team Trinity. Those are our teammates. The opposition for Team Live Oak is anything that's a barrier that keeps people from connecting to Christ, community, and their role of picking up a corner of the mat and being deployed and activated in the mission of God. That is our opponent. Anything that gets in the way of that. So what we need to think about as a church at Live Oak is, is if our mission is to, to make more and stronger followers of Jesus Christ and the friends of the paralytic is our model, really it's the, the one thing I'd ask you to do is just connect yourself and others. We say it this way. We need to connect ourselves to God, God's word, God's people, and God's mission. That comes from the great commandment, love God, love people. The great, uh, yeah, great commandment, great commission, go make disciples. In Acts chapter 2, do that together. That, that's what we're called to do as a church. So if you're connecting yourself to God of the growing relationship with him, to God's word, you're engaging scripture, to God's people, you're in community, and you're on mission with God, you're grabbing your corner of the mat and serving, then it becomes, who else can I connect? Connect myself and connect others. And for, for quite some time, it's been very impactful. God has a track record of using that by their faith through giving to thrive, through serving, through inviting. And you guys are great inviters through warmly welcoming people. You guys are great at this. He's honored that. So I don't know what your next step is. Maybe it's to pray, to give, to serve, to step up and lead. It's to develop someone else as you're leading, to develop somebody else. It's to love others. It's to include. It's to invite, not just invite to show up, but invite to take a next step and serve. Invite them into a group. But here's what I know. One will go as fast and as far as we go together. Because together has always been the model for Live Oak. We're going to do that together. And God has blessed us with unity. And we want to preserve that. The other thing is this. When we do that, we'll change the statistics. Which every statistic represents a life. 
will change lives. But it's not us. It's our faith that moves the heart of God. So he's the one that ultimately changes lives. But he's invited us to play a part in it. So the one question I have for you today, that I'd love each of you to answer if Live Oaks your church home, is what's my part? What does it look like for me here together to grab my corner of the mat? What does it look like to connect myself to God, God's word, God's people, and God's mission? And when you do that, I believe God honors that. And let's never lose sight of the other, of who's not here. And if Live Oak is not your church home, pray about it. If that's something you want to be a part of, jump in. If it's not, that's fine. There's lots of great churches in town. Find your fit. Find your place. And if you don't know Jesus, we're so glad you're here. We exist for you. Please let us know how we can help. But for all of you, as we close in prayer, I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in prayer now. As we do that, here's what I'd like you to do. Would you please pray for yourself that God would show you your next step in this. Ask him what he's calling you to do by faith. And then take that step. And would you pray for us collectively as a church that we would lead in a way that honors God honors people, and impacts our world because our world is in broken and in need and if we don't cut some holes in the roof, it's going to stay this way. But God's at work. He won't let that happen. I just don't want you to miss out on it, either here or elsewhere. Heavenly Father, what's our part? We want to hear from you about our calling. God, thank you for the ways we've seen you work in the past. We trust you in your promise that you will build your church and I'm not sure it's a good idea, but you choose to include us. People seem to be a big player in your plan. And while we're grateful, that's a lot of responsibility. Thank you that you said that you're with us and you want to work through us. Help us know our part and help us take a next step. And as we explore some of these capacities with facilities, with, with, with connecting and serving and leadership, God, help us to grow leaders, to grow disciples, and to change statistics because that means there are lives that are being changed. The future is yours and we want to be a part of it. Show us our part. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front.